You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, the running public. This is the Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. Uh, Bracken, we haven't talked in a few days. No, you went dark. I did go dark. Um, I almost feel like a bad friend because I saw you kind of had yourself a weekend. I had a weekend, Kirk. Uh-huh. Do you have a bottle of whiskey and a trophy to your name? I have one of the two. The bottle is the trophy because it's engraved. Oh, okay. Tell me about your weekend, Bracken. What happened? I raced. I ran an obstacle course race or any running race. Not counting High Rocks, this was my first competition since September of 2019. And counting High Rocks, it's the first competition since January of 2020. My goodness. And you won. I did. This is a race I've been super curious about, and I secretly wanted to come down and just, you know, butt heads with you. The Abominable Snow Race. So this is probably the fifth time I've done it. It was unlike any other year. Okay. To cut down on common touch points, they had no obstacles exercise stations or something six exercise stations with two to three movements or requirements per station so for example the first station was 20 burpee barrel rolls you had to flop down in the snow roll over jump up that was one rep interesting and then the next one it kind of was an obstacle but then you picked up a slosh pipe and you had to overhead carry it about i don't know 60 meters up a hill and then back down it couldn't come below 90 degrees so stations, rather. You had a lunge walk with a sandbag and then drop it. And then they'd sanitize. And then uh, ram burpees. Uh, trying to think what else we had. Uh, just just stations. Functional fitness combined with trail racing. This is what I care about. You won. You crushed the competition in your first race back. That I did, Kirk. Like the equivalent of like a U.S. National Series competition. <laughs> in the past, this has been the who's who of the Midwestern racer show up. Yeah, big guy, big time locals show up. Did not happen this year. How much did you win by? Uh, the results say three minutes. But? Well, they put off 10 racers every two to three minutes. I started in the, I was the last elite racer to start. And I crossed the line first. So I think it was more than three minutes, but it's it, it's it's immaterial. It doesn't matter. I got to chase the entire time, which was a lot of fun. Mm. So what'd you learn? Are you are you fit? Are you are you feeling like if that was race day, like race day, the race that matters, that you would have showed up and gave a a good performance, or do you have things to work on? Mentally, I'm pretty close. I love that. I'm pretty close. I was able to keep myself hurting the whole time. Physically, it was really hard to tell. Because when you're not racing someone that's faster than you, it's really hard to tell what you would be doing if someone faster than you were there. There were a few times I thought, am I hurting and this is as fast as you could push through this section or would I be getting dropped hard right now? So I kept thinking, you know, if Kirk were here, if Killian were here, if Atkins showed up, what would be happening? And there's really no way of telling. Mm -hmm. And it was sloppy. It was the best terrain we had was ankle deep snow that was the best 
Oh, so it was real gritty. There, it was ankle to shin deep the entire time. Ooh, I like that. Every stride <laughs> was earned on that course. So it was, you were uh, 1,200 meters in, you were you were already out of your rhythm and it, it never came back for the rest of the race. So it was an hour and four minutes of just hurting. It was great. I like that. So you got, you got a taste of the sting. You got mm-hmm. a taste of competition. Um, that's uh, more than most can say right now. Yeah, I'm super fortunate to have had that chance. And you know what the strangest part of the whole thing was, Kirk? What? It felt like any other day. As in? Like I had never stopped racing. Like huh. none of this had ever happened. There were no start line jitters. There was no extra special feeling. It was just like, this is just a race. And maybe it was because of the scale of the race, but I expected it to feel special to be back after a year and a half. Just showing up and racing. Hmm. I- I don't believe that will be the case in about a month. I don't think so either. But it was interesting. I expected to feel more. And it was just, a, all right, it's a hard workout. Let's go. Let's go work out. Do you think they're going to call legendary OG Bracken Cracker over the wall in Jacksonville? Are you going to get a shout out call up to the start line, Cracker? I did not get any call outs at the two National Series races I attended in 2019. And I have done nothing to improve my standing <laughs> since then. So I'm saying there's a 0% chance I get called out. Mm, that's okay. I haven't, I only ran twice last week and I, I didn't, uh, I didn't quite hit the pain cave like you, but I was happy to see that you won. Congratulations. Thank you. You're one for one in 2021. I'm undefeated in pandemic times. <laughs> you are, you are on a tear brother. So maybe I retire. Maybe I don't. We'll see. I'll decide later this week. <laughs> Go out on top. <laughs> should we, um, we're in a little bit of a time pinch today, so we should probably dive into uh, what we're talking about today, huh? Let's do it. Yeah. Why don't you intro it? Well, this is, <laughs> this is your baby. Well, kind of, but then we were chatting about the direction we wanted to go yeah. with this. Um, you, the, you can, the floor is yours and then I'll, fo- I'll play sweep up. Kirk introed this to me two weeks ago, and it was the idea of race fitness versus general fitness, that you see these people who have all these great metrics, and it doesn't show up on race day. And it hit home for me this weekend when you saw some really strong fit people or some really fast runners who weren't able to really access it throughout the entire race. And it just highlighted the idea that there is this big gap between, you know, as they say, show muscle and go muscle. And in a time like this, where there's not really races on the horizon for everyone and you're not sure what will and won't happen. We can be lulled into the sense of let's just be generally fit and then we'll jump into races. But there has to be a little more than that. Well, if true top end performance matters mm-hmm. and this is as relevant as it could possibly be, um, you know, we, we throw like, like you like to say show muscle versus go muscle. Um, you could say, sure, your body looks good, but what can you do with it? Mm-hmm. You can say exercise versus training. We're kind of alluding to the same thing here. And we all know those people that like, that are fit, right? Like, oh, she is so fit. She, look at her. She works, she runs five days a week and lifts three days a week. And then she enters a competition and she's on the back half of the results. And you're like, that doesn't make sense. This is a fitness enthusiast. Why aren't they winning? That was like the icon of fitness that I knew. And here she is. Uh, underperforming, for example. Um, And I think what we want to outline today is like, there are very, very particular and purposeful things that need to get you race ready versus just like fit. And we always talk about that, don't we, Bracken? Like, oh, I'm fit right now. Mm -hmm. But I'll tell you what, 
like, as we've talked about, I've been doing a ton of uh, threshold work. Um, you've been doing a ton of OCR compromise transition work. Mm-hmm. We both would say we are fit right now, I think, right? I feel fit right now, but I will tell you what, what has been the banter we've had about when I've jumped into race specific type work the last two weeks? What yeah. have I told you? You said it, it just blows you up so quickly. Exactly. So am I fit? I'm always fit. But am I ready to go out and actually be ready for the race? Nope. And so that's the difference that I think we wanted to outline today. I was on the spin bike this morning because I'm a little beat up. You are. The race and I shoveled for like, I don't know, five or seven hours yesterday. Shoveling's hard. Wait, why did you shovel for five to seven hours? Were you being a good neighbor or something? We got uh, 10 inches of snow on top of nine inches of snow, but where we are, there's buildings around and my house is only 10 to 12 feet from my parents and it creates this vortex of winds and it drifted up two and a half, three feet in areas. We didn't even get a dusting up. Oh yeah, we got dumped on, but the drifting was huge. There were Mm. portions of the sidewalk that had two inches on it and portions that had 24 inches on it. Uh. So we got it all clear, but then we decided in the second half of the day to make a, a giant snow fort. So we took the snow that I'd already cleared and I shoveled for two or three more hours to make a snow for Anyways, <laughs> I'm beat up from it. The point is I was on the spin bike and I went back to watch uh, Headhunter. Is that Hunter's YouTube series he's got going on right now? I haven't I haven't watched. Well, I watched the one. I was watching the lead up to his, his marathon and he goes to Rich Diaz's lab and... Uh, he says, I can survive this. I'm, I'm, I'm in good enough shape to do this. And Diaz says, yeah, you, you're probably in the type of shape to do, do anything you want. You just won't be any good at it. Ooh. Like you could do, you can survive a marathon, right? And I'm paraphrasing. You can survive a marathon, but you're not trained for a marathon. And that, again, cemented it to me that, yeah, Hunter has worked his body to the point where he's never out of shape. He just may not be in shape for the specific competition he's about to do. And so mm. he went out and ran 255, which is phenomenal. Uh, it was a net downhill race, and some people are being couch couch captains and ripping them apart online, but it doesn't matter. The man went out and ran for 26 miles at 203 pounds and broke three hours in the marathon. Very impressive. But you and I both know that if he put in a 20-week block of training, the guy would run 238. That outlines it perfectly, what we're trying to say today. Yeah. I had seen a, uh, I did, he popped up as my suggested like watch and he did a podcast with, who was it? He had like a turtleneck on, he was looking all pretty boy. And he talked about um, like doping and steroid use in the sport of CrossFit. Whatever it was, this interview, by the way, um, he got just lit up in the comments. I mean, like thousands of like hate comments and hunter just lets it roll and just is still hunter and i really appreciate that about him you should watch that interview though it was very entertaining. um yeah that's 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 actually exactly the point we're outlining right mm-hmm. so um <clears throat> so when it comes to like actually getting prepared getting prepared i think there's like we we're going to touch on a few things that we've like talked about regularly i think on this podcast today but um really honing in on the specifics so can you go out and run a marathon, for example? Yes. But can you go out and perform your best on that day? Like you mentioned Hunter, what, 15 minute difference potentially, or almost 20 if he was yeah. actually specifically trained or not. That's what we're talking about. Talking to those people, you guys listen to this podcast, you care about your performance. So I'll deflect to you first, but like, where exactly do you start? Like, how do you differentiate the two? Like fitness versus race ready to killer mentality fitness. 
I think that's exactly a killer mentality. Everyone knows when they take the start line and they look around and they see the course or the competition start, you realize like deep in your gut, you know what probably is about to happen. And you know whether your goal is now to complete or attack. And so I start with, I want to be able to attack whatever the next competition is. And so identifying right then and there, what components are needed to be able to attack. And I will say that prior to this, general fitness is the best base you can have. Mm -hmm. Being able to pivot to whatever type of specific training you want to do is a huge skill to have. Having that general hunter fitness, and hunters isn't even general, it's absurd, but having that general well-rounded fitness to be able to pivot to more strength-based or endurance-based or speed-based or combo-based, depending on what the, the need is. But being able to attack versus complete is mm -hmm. my mindset. Being able to sink your teeth in and embrace like what's about to happen in the pain versus just like just almost breaching comfortability and then just choosing to sit there, right? Yeah. That's how I would describe it. I looked at the Spartan games and I watched the mountain bike competition and you saw a lot of people out there that couldn't attack because they didn't have the prerequisite skills mm. to attack. And other people had the, had an engine with no ability to use it. And other people had skills with no engine to back it up. And there were a few people who attacked the entire time. And that's really, that, I mean, that sums up again, what, what we're looking at here. I want to be able to attack the entire time, whether it's a marathon, a, a 400 meter dash, a high rocks, a triathlon, not having to just give away time because you know, well, I'm just not prepared for this. So would you say that race fitness is a skill in your opinion? 100%. Really? Yeah. I think without skill work, you don't have race fitness. Mm. Uh, no matter if you're like a trail runner, a road runner, or an OCR athlete? All of it. All of it. I mean, we, I love using this example, but look at the Olympic trials this last year. Yeah. With the On hills. the side the top three ranked women did not finish top three because they weren't probably, they did not practice the skill of eccentric downhill load and it eventually sucked the life out of their legs. That's what I believe. I, mm -hmm. I I'm not in a position to call out any of these people's training or their coaches or whatever, whatever led to this. But the fact is that generally in endurance sports, the best people win unless something goes wrong and something went consistently wrong for a lot of people out there. And it wasn't nutrition. Hmm. So this is how this came to light for me. And, and I kind of, in our intro, I just kind of talked about this a little bit, but, um, you know, I've been doing a lot of threshold work. We've talked about it. We all know this, but I have done no race specific work. I haven't touched a carry. I haven't touched a compromise workout until like a week and a half ago. None of that. Right. And I started to click off some times that I was very proud of sub six minute pace at the end of a long run for six plus miles, things where I'm like, I'm fit, like I'm fit, but I'm using the word fit, not race fitness, right? Mm -hmm. And so then I decided to do my first two compromise workouts and I did OCR thousands or OCR two hundreds. And then I did a Hobie tempo. And <clears throat> what that taught me was, although I'm fit, like I have not gotten race specific fit. And I was who I would say a little discouraged after the end of those saying, well, I'm fit, but it didn't translate. And so to hone in on your point about skill work um, and feeling what you need to feel in a race, I hadn't even come remotely close to touching that. And I think a lot of people like rely on being fit as the carryover to a race. Like I still get up at 5 a.m. I still go for my run. I lift after work. I'm doing all of the things that I need to do and all the components for my race. You know what? I was doing that too. 
And where did it get me? It got me feeling sorry for myself, you know, eight reps, you know, eight minutes in. So, so what do you tell, so, so with that in mind, I think, and I'll deflect to you again, and then I'll follow it up is like, what do you, what do you do with that? Because I feel like there's a lot of people in that boat right now. Like, okay, I've been working on my fitness. I've been running. I have a few athletes right now, Bracken. They're like, Jacksonville's coming up and you haven't prescribed any carry work or obstacle specific work yet. And, and I have my reasons for that, but people are getting antsy. They're saying, I don't feel race ready. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you do with that? That person? <sighs> I always revert to the same answer. You, you time trial, you run a simulation. Ooh. And I was luckily able to do it in a actual race. But on my schedule, I had written down the ASR race slash Jacksonville sim. Like if the race entry didn't work out or the race was canceled, I was running a full sim that day because I had to feel it and I had to test out what I've done versus what I can do with it. Because there are people like Ian Hosick who love the idea of training in a vacuum. Train my endurance, train my speed, train my strength, maybe do some circuit work and it ties together on race day. And then there are people who that doesn't work for. But the only way to find out which boat you're in and how far along the way in that process you are is to actually test it. So I, sometimes I say this is a cheap answer. You just have to run a sim. But I feel like it's the only true way to find out what you're made of based off the ingredients you're putting into play is you actually just have to bake the cake. Like unless you've baked it, you have no idea how it's going to turn out. And you might be an Ian Hosick who bakes it and it tastes good and it works. And you might be a me who I bake it and I realize the bottom fell out. I just need more filler in here. So mm. that's what I would do right now. I would sim, I would test it out, and then you take what you learn. For me, what I learned in the race was probably what you would have identified from my training. I can get in and out. I can work really hard, but my stain power is lacking and my hill work was atrocious. I was really mm. dying up the hills. Mm. And if you had been in the race, you probably would have found out the obstacles themselves didn't take much out of you, but you were slower in and out of them. But then once you got back up and rolling, your splits in between the meat of the running would have been faster than mine. Yeah, that's probably exactly what I'd predict coming up. But would have been interesting, wouldn't it? It would have. But then it would determine what you and I do the next three and a half weeks of training. Mm -hmm. What about you? Do you have a response to that first or what about you? Well, I was just going to touch on the the fact that like, I think this comes to light more because um, I think the longer the race, the more like you can sort of sway towards fitness a little, <laughs> a little bit, right? But when you got something short and intense and it looks like things that are starting off the season, including Jacksonville are going to be short and intense. Like, nope, you can't lean on fitness. You can't even lean on fitness a little in, in those situations, right? You got to lean on, on like the, the relevancy of what that race requires. So, um, <clears throat> so you were asking what, what I would tell this person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, you mentioned something how, how like it, it's all about like that kill killer mentality or that killer be killed mentality. Um, duplicating it in, in training is exactly what, what needs to happen. Um, you know, we, we talk about, for example, like with the race coming up or any, even now that Spartans of what a supers a 10 K transitions matter even more. Right. Mm-hmm. So getting in and out of transitions, um, I would tell, I would tell that person to, um, I would tell that person to hone in on that. Like, like for example, so what I've been doing, which we haven't talked about as I'm layering this in is like on a Thursday, for example, like a, a moderate quality day, um, 
I may at like an aerobic effort go in and out of things. I may go easy run for three to four minutes and then 10 pull-ups, easy run for three to four minutes, 10 burpees, easy run, practice that skill work first, and then layer in that intensity where time matters later. A perfect example of that, I don't know if you know this, Bracken, is um, Ryan Kempson. Have you paid attention to what Ryan Kempson does within a month of a race? No. No? I mean, I've looked in the past at his Strava, but I can't say that skill-wise, outside of his uh, his park loop that he does, where he does, what, 600 to 1,000 meter running or something, and then he hits something hard and goes. Well, he'd be a classic example. I mean, yes, exactly, but he does it all the time. You look at Ryan Kempson's Strava, and it's like, oh, four miles at 9.30 pace. Like, way to go, Ryan. But within that, he's constantly doing that stuff. And I would say... Back to the end of our conversation with Mark Gaudet, we talked about collapsing at the finish line and working hard. And um, part of me thought about that. I listened to our, our own interview this weekend on a long car ride. And I thought maybe part of the reason that, that Ryan Kempson falls over at the finish line and is completely inside out is because he has become a master of the sim. He has become a master of calculation of his body and what it can, you know, produce. So um, I'm just going to second your answer there. Hmm. And say sim, yeah. And I think I think he would be a good example of that. And it's a fine line to to ride because the more you do something, the more accustomed to it you get, and the better you get at optimizing things. But the more you can get into habits. And so moving forward, one of the things I have to change about my workouts is I have to change some of the the stations, so to speak, during my sims because okay. I don't want to get good at coasting through those reps. I want to get good at working hard. And sometimes you can get, you can, you can get good at a workout at the expense of working harder. You can develop mm -hmm. efficiency in patterns that aren't necessarily race day patterns, they're workout day patterns. And obviously Kempson does a good job with that. And it's a pattern that I, I felt myself starting to slip towards, which is I was really focusing on race specific performance, but I was getting a little lost in the workout specific performance. Like, all right, I worked that one section a little harder than I did last time. I was smoother in and out of my reps. So now I'm going to recover for a few seconds on the run because I banked some time and I'm still going to PR in the workout. That doesn't help me on race day. Banking some time on the run because I got ahead on the reps doesn't help me on race day. Mm. Turning myself inside out on that run so that on race day, that's my MO. That helps me on race day. Mm. Do you find yourself doing that? This last week. Uh, the last week was not my best week of training. Okay. Because I had a race coming up that I intended to train through, but I also knew I was training through a race and it would have been better to not know the race was there until the day before and just say, all right, whatever you have, now you go race. But knowing it was there, I was unable to fully attack the week the way I probably would have without it. And so I felt a couple of times I got like 85% of my benefit of the workout because I wasn't fully... In the moment, I found myself losing focus during the workout mm. and thinking about Saturday rather than thinking about Jacksonville and staying buckled down. Does that make sense? It does, but you could also look at the flip side of the coin and say, yeah, but then the effort you gave on Saturday because you just reserved a little bit mm -hmm. uh, may end up paying off as much or more than if you'd stayed the course with your training, right? Yeah, that, that and that's fair. My, my worry is that mental uh, fortitude has been my issue over the last few years. And I didn't want an ounce of that creeping back in. Mm. So I think this upcoming week is a very important week for me in terms of cementing my race specific mental fitness, mm -hmm. because 
I took one step in a direction I didn't want to be facing. And this mm. ensures that I pivot. Okay, that makes sense. And I think we should talk specifics here. So we're kind of talking theory and a little bit of fluff in the sense we're like, okay, we get it. Like we got to get ready for our race. Like <laughs> great, you're fit, but like how do I race better, right? And so like the, the first step in my opinion is uh, you have to simulate the feeling and the like metabolic demand of the race in training, right? Mm -hmm. So what does that really mean? Well, um, for example, even though I'm doing threshold work, my heart rate may be capping at 173, let's say, what I've seen. I've worked really hard for an extended duration. Now I went and I did OCR thousands and my heart rate capped at 183, 10 beats a minute above what my heart rate would cap on a threshold effort. And as soon as I breached 173 and started hitting like this high 170s, low 180s, my body freaked the F out. And it was like, I am on damage control, right? Mm -hmm. Like I, I did not, and I know that in a race, what's going to happen is that I'm, if I were not prepared for this race, I'm fit as heck. Sure, let's go out and run together. But if I'm going out to race, and as soon as we go hard through, we hit the moguls in Jacksonville, over rolling mud, and suddenly I'm at 180, what do you think my body is going to do? What do you think my mind's going to do? It's going to blast the red damage like light, and it's going to be like, you're done. Mm -hmm. You're going to back off, right? It will. So, prime, so prime example, first and foremost, is like simulate both the feeling and like the like the metabolic metrics that are going to be required in the race. And that was the first thing that I did not experience until recently. And that's step one, like create a workout in which is going to require your the, both the feeling and your body to respond in which like you are in the race, correct? Correct. Yeah. So I just wanted to make that point. Like that was glaringly obvious for me. It was like, oh my God, like I feel like I can't keep up to this effort, like I'm going to have to dial the throttle back, not by choice necessarily, maybe a little by choice, because I was not familiar with that feeling recently. But also like, I don't think I could sustain this for a prolonged period of time. So first and foremost, that's where I'd start. And I think that draws the line between training and training for a race, where okay. when you're trying to progress the maximum amount you can in a training session, you stick to the the physiological and metabolic confines of the workout. Mm -hmm. If you're running threshold, you stay at or below threshold and you nudge that line and you don't cross it. Mm -hmm. And that will give you the best possible progression. However, it will not prepare you to cross the line on a race day. It'll allow you to run faster before you cross the line. But if you cross the line, that variables, it, it shakes you. And it, it brings me back to college. Every single year in indoor season, someone will come out and run 4-0 in the mile off of base training mm -hmm. every single year. And it would be in some small like dual meet or quad meet with no one's university in Iowa that shows up. And this guy just goes out and basically solo time trials, like 405, 408. And mm -hmm. everyone in the conference freaks out like, oh my goodness, this is January. And that guy just ran 4-0 and he hasn't even started true workouts yet because he's doing it off just massive engine and just great fitness. But then indoor conference rolls around and he gets boxed in a little bit and has to make a move. And then the pace sags and then it surges and there's 300 meters to go and the move gets made and he spit out the back. Every single year this happens. And it's because he mm. has this huge capacity of work 
but all these little gas tank daggers that hit along the way, there's race specific variables that came into play, took all of his big engine armor off and he was stripped down to, I don't have any go muscle left because it was very linear, the fitness I have currently. And I think that is, that, I mean, I, that's what you were saying in the terms of get yourself to the metabolic demands of your race where mm. you haven't experienced tipping over in a workout. You can't realize that, yeah, I can, I can write the ship and go again because all I've tried to do is avoid tipping. Sometimes if you're training for a race, the workout requires tipping yourself, mm. not because it's the best physiological stress and stimulus to put your body through, but because it's the only way you know how to write the ship again. I love that, that analogy, linear fitness versus we, we, what we do isn't linear. Mm -hmm in any capacity. I think of this when I did, so I did my Hobie tempo last year on this or last week on the snowmobile trails mm. and, um, and every, Oh, I don't know, five to 10 strides, my foot would sink in and it'd be like hard packed crusted snow ish. And then you'd sink in a foot and you would completely get thrown off rhythm and have to get back to it and completely. And I found myself when I get some really firm, icy stuff, I had my VJ zeros on, I had good traction. Uh, that felt like linear fitness. But as soon as my gate was thrown off and I was forced out of rhythm, I was like, if that happened on race day, you saw me in Alabama two years ago, I tripped over every route that existed and I couldn't get, <laughs> and I couldn't get back to square. I was like, those hits were like, bombs dropping on me whereas otherwise they like if i was prepared they'd be like pellets bouncing off of yeah and, and so that's a very good example i like that we talked right after that workout and i had said that the thing i'm most thankful for that i've been doing is running all of my quality sessions in nasty snowy conditions because two things have happened and this is the great thing about doing race specific work the first is that i've gotten used to my feet giving out on me and so that jarring like thud when your hamstring just has to like catch you in the See middle it. of a stride it's not jarring to me anymore and so it does we talk about those gas tank daggers that dagger doesn't really penetrate my gas tank like it used to but the second thing is that i've developed over the last four weeks just better running technique and i told you i feel like i'm running through my hips more mm -hmm. i don't know how to describe it other than i'm stable through my hips and i don't sink out into the snow the way i used to like my foot's coming up rather than plunging through. And so I actually don't get off balance like I used to. If I do, it doesn't hurt me as much, but I don't as much anymore. And I wouldn't have ever developed that running from my hips if I hadn't done four weeks of quality efforts in the snow. Mm. And you have time, you're gonna do that now and you're gonna have it on race day, but mm -hmm. the rich get richer. Not only does it cost me less, now it happens less. Yeah, I was a little behind the eight ball with like just building general run fitness. So I've delayed my, on yeah. purpose, I've delayed my race specific fitness just to build more of a base. But I'll be very curious with you, actually, if I happen to be behind you, mm. which I doubt. <laughs> <laughs> However, I'll be very curious because uh, last year there was very thick, muddy, um, just sticky, slow, n not very good push off more sections of that than people really realize from the live broadcast. I'll be just very curious if I have an eye on you, like if that will be like, Oh, Bracken's gone. Like this makes sense. I just wonder like that snow running for those of you who live in the, the Arctic, like we do, um, not avoiding it when you're working hard is, is pivotal. So I'll be curious how it pays off for you. I will too. When I watch races in the past, uh, the, the guys who, and, and the girls who cruise through the nasty sections, they don't look like they're doing anything special. 
Mm-hmm. The people who are slipping and falling are all over the place. And the people, and, and you can see their, their energy spent staying focused rather than from driving. But mm-hmm. the guys that and girls who are flying through the really nasty sections, they're just, they're slipping less. They're not doing anything special. They're just not doing anything wrong. It looks like it just doesn't affect them the same way. And I always thought like, what is that magical skill that Ryan Atkins has when he, or Aaron Newell on his bucket carry last year, or you watch Lindsay or Nicole running through nasty stuff and you think, is it their shoes? Is it their, their cadence? They're hitting the ground and they're moving forward. And the other people are hitting the ground and their feet are sliding. And I'm finally starting to feel that, no, it's a learned response that your body has that it does affect you less and you get better technique for it. But when someone's watching, it just looks like you're not running through the same terrain they were. It's totally a skill, actually. Speaking of that specifically, like it's like one of those things where the harder you push off, sometimes like mm-hmm. the less efficient you are, right? Like it's exactly a skill that's to be learned. So yeah. Um, yeah, I would say if anybody's planning to show up in Florida, um, you better find the nastiest. Uh, I don't know what the conditions look like down there, but I guarantee there's going to be portions that are what slick. Um, so, okay. So I talked about talking specifics, Bracken, like, Mm. okay, so we got to simulate like metabolic demand. We have to simulate feeling, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and that means, okay, so we have our, we're fit, right? All of, most of you listening are fit. I would assume in some capacity, you've been running, you've been building, whether it's Jacksonville or it's another trail race or later Spartan series races. Um, but specifics, like let's get race specific fit. Okay. Um, do you think that when we talk about compromise work, right, all the time, is compromise work enough saying, and then if it is compromise work, what type of compromise work gets you actually ready to, ex- to experience, perform on race day? So this is where the term compromised really turns into an umbrella term. Mm-hmm. A lot of times when we say compromise running, people assume we're talking about OCR specific work. And in that conversation, again, referring back to the Ian Hosick interview, I define compromised running as anything that removes your ability to access and use your normal feeling stride. I agree. And so in this sense, I think compromised running is the single most valuable tool you have to get ready for a race day. Outside of maxing out your metrics in a, val- in a vacuum, now you have to max them out when they're compromised. And so to use the Atlanta trials um, example, it's not about how fast you can run up up and down hills in training. Eventually, it's about how fast can you do it once your legs are feeling like they will feel at mile 18 to 20. And so mm-hmm. dialing up a workout that gets your quads to the point where they've taken a comparable damage to 18 miles worth of hard tempo work, and now you do some hill work. It doesn't mean you have to run 18 miles hard to get there, but finding some sort of stimulus that compromises your quads into the point where now you're in the golden zone. Now, everything I do here is race specific, even though it's not maxing out a metric. Now it's taking my metrics and it's matching it to race demands. And the same thing for muddy running, the same thing goes for any sport. It's getting yourself to the point where, all right, now I'm tired or thrown off my rocker enough to the point where everything I do now is skill specific to what I'm going to have to be able to adapt to on race day. Mm. Yeah. That makes sense. I, I, I like to go to two different things I kind of want to talk about here. Um, one is if you, let's say, swing the hammer in training as hard or harder than you need to swing it in racing, let's say that sting is a little sharper. Let's say I talk about heart rate, like my heart rate got up to 183 in my OCR 1000. Well, let's say in a, in a race, I might average, what, 173 yeah. heart rate, let's say. 
So you swing that hammer hard in training and you actually get shorter duration, don't get me wrong, but a sharper sting, right? You become familiar with a pain that is actually a little more intense than that race pain because it's a shorter duration and it's going to hurt, right? Uh, a little more. So one, get familiar with the sting, sharp sting, the sting that causes even maybe like a higher output heart rate wise, effort wise than the race requires, right? So you need to get at least a perspective there, right? We always talk about like doing something shorter and faster the, the week of a race. And so that when the race comes, at least that pace feels comfortable comparatively. So one, um, you need to swing that hammer and you need to just sink your teeth in, right? And you need to do that like on a weekly basis leading in. We talk three to six weeks out from a race. You need to start doing that. Something that is is more painful, which is weird to say in training, but more painful than the race itself. And how often do we get done with like OCR mile repeats, Bracken, and be like, well, the race can't possibly hurt that worse than that. Right. Right. Because even if the race hurts that much, you're competitive and you have different chemicals flowing through your veins and it dulls that. Exactly. Exactly. And so that is, that's mental perseverance. That's grit. That is your ch choosing to sit in this sucks type pain and, and embrace it. Right. So, so that's one. Okay. Work above. Um, and, and that's a concept that all runners use, right? Like I'll do shorter, faster intervals and they'll hurt a lot, but they're over quickly and things like that. But like, we really need to apply that to OCR. And then the second thing that I like to do when we talk about race specific fitness, you talk about like, oh, what can somebody run in the marathon trials after they've descended too much? Um, and to that, I would say something that seems to have been working for me, and I, I'll be doing this through Jacksonville is you hit your compromised work, you hit all that hard stuff. And then you go into like a, a tempo effort cool down or something extended when your legs are already kind of screwed, your body, your energy systems are already a little messed up and, and you force yourself to work at a rate when you know you're not at your best. So maybe adding something, you do UOCR intervals and then when it's finished, you go into a two mile threshold or tempo run where you know it's not your best. What are you smiling about? Well, I, I called my brother who's living in Budapest right now. Of course he is. I talked to him and said, hey, the last two times I did a, a miniature training block like this where I had to be just, I went all in on nasty. I just mm -hmm. want to be able to race hard and I don't have time to do all the other things. What were we doing? Because he was living with me for one of those two. And he said, one of the things I really remember we did is we stacked some back-to-back -back workout days and with extended recovery in between. But one of the key workouts we did is we did the short, fast treadmill intervals, 45 to 65 seconds at like 3K to mile pace with short, fast reps in between for just a couple of rounds and stopped. Mm -hmm. And then we'd finish with a two mile tempo. He said, and I just thought there was huge bang for our buck off of getting really sharp, really nasty, and now just settle in and bite down for two, for two miles at a pace that's not terrible, but feels terrible. Yeah. And that's exactly what you just said. Interesting. When was this? This was when we were living in our first year in Colorado. Okay. And... Yeah, you were fit back then, huh? Yeah, and I'd forgotten about I'd forgotten about those two mile tempo finishers. Just go in, and you know you're not going to be your best. You know that first step and those strides aren't going to feel efficient, and you just go and choose to hit it hard anyways. Because that's what a freaking race we do feels like anyways, right? Like I know I can run faster. I'm just not right now mm -hmm. because I'm I'm compromised. So you're going to do any of that? Yeah, 
Yeah. And I, I already had most of that in there and I'm adding on those finishers now. But the, but the last thing I think people really need to do, I'm going to start this with a story as well. Mm -hmm. It won't be too long because I know we're tight on time, but watching Conor McGregor fight a week ago, he came back after the, after a extended layoff again, and he got finished in the second round. And afterwards, all the talking heads, all the, the fighters who are good were talking about why this happened because he's still just the best striker and he's so confident, but he was exposed. And one of the, the other fighters said he just needs to, to change gyms. He needs to go to a place where he's challenged because he's the most dominant person until he's challenged. And then his whole demeanor changes. And as soon as he gets rocked a time or two, or as soon as he lands some shots that don't put his opponent down, you can see it change. And now he's fighting in a shell. It's like he's so good and there's no one near him that's good enough to challenge him. So he needs to take a little bit more of a beating and training. And we usually don't say this for fighters. We usually say spar less. He needs to get hurt a few times because nothing tires him out like taking a hard shot. And I don't think anyone can land a shot on him in training. And so that's the final piece here. As I get closer to a race, this is the time I like to try to find someone better than me to beat me down. This is when I turned to John Dewitt, that are my 218 marathon friend, and I have him take me through a hard 10 miler and he just beats me down because you have to feel it. You have to get defeated a time or two in training. Otherwise, you still go in with that not race specific mentality, which is my workouts have been feeling great. Race is going to feel great. Yep. You ever notice after like a, um, I think back to some of my best racing streaks where I was like, God, it's like three, four races in a row where I showed up, I was mentally ready, physically ready. I, I performed. I can think of two streaks now in my Spartan career. And you know what it was? I was racing. Yeah. I was going out every week or every other week. I was racing. I was sharpening the end of my knife. I had all the tools in my tool belt, physical, mental, and I was ready. And so to put a bow tie on it, like we don't have that before the first race of the year. Mm -mm. Maybe you do. You got the abominable. So, it, But I didn't get beat. I need right. someone to beat me down. So we have to do that to ourselves in training and not every day, you know, we preach polarized training, but we need that bee sting and we need to feel it and we need that abrasion and we need all of that because we don't have, if you care about the national series or the performance of your first race this year, there's no way around it. Like you need to somehow get there before the race actually happens and you need to get there more than once. And the only difference between good racing streaks and bad racing streaks for me is the fact that when I have a good racing streak, some racing, you get comfortable being uncomfortable. You understood the feeling. You could manage your effort and eke out the percentage, the last percentages of your capabilities. So um, I just feel like this is more relevant right now. Once people start racing more and they get back, but how long have we been? Most of us haven't raced, like you mentioned yourself, Bracken, in well over a year. Like yeah. race-specific fitness now means like stepping up to the plate, mimicking your race and beyond so that when you show up, it's not a slap in the face. That's exactly it. It's all about perspective. How mm -hmm. many times do you see a training group happen where there's a stud, there's the bell cow of the training group and they show up on race day and someone beats that person and it's their part training partner or that training mm -hmm. partner goes out and sets a world record. The person who's been clearly inferior every workout along the way. The difference is they stopped caring about getting dropped. And the moment they were in a race and it got to hurt, they're like, all right, this is just usual. And then if someone held up even slightly, they got this first in a long time boost of, oh man, they're hurting more than I am. You don't feel that very often. And then they have this out of their body performance. So mm -hmm. now's the time. If you can't get into a race, you find someone faster than you and get them to beat you down in a workout.
You know, it's a, a quick story about this. And then, unfortunately, I got to go to work. But uh, my father was a state champion cross-country runner in high school. He was a state champion. He was Division Three in Wisconsin, which is small school, but he ran the fastest time in all divisions to win his state championship. Wow. So there's a little bit in the blood there, right? But the point I'm getting to is um, it was the first year their school had cross-country as a sport. So it was his first crack at it. And he had not won a race all year. He had a teammate who was better than himself. And there was another guy in his sectional. So he went to sectional and he lost to his teammate and this other gentleman from another school. Um, <clears throat> and there was two weeks between sectionals and state. And so what my dad did is he went out and he trained and he'd go out. My dad knew no better. So he would go out in three mile runs, which is what they ran then. And he would push so hard from mile one and a half to two and a half that it was like two and a half was the finish of his race. And then he would hold on to home. He said, if I'm going to beat these guys, I need to do it in the middle of the race. And he did that, which is old school training mentality, right? Mm -hmm. For, for every other workout for two weeks. And then he backed off two days before the race. His coach didn't know what he was doing. Anyways, came to the race on the golf course. When mile one and a half came, he laid the hammer down, put a hundred meters on everybody else. And in that last mile, he faded home so hard but he held on just enough and he won the state title, right? Mm -hmm. Getting chills listening to it. Uh, yeah. It says DeWint and company takes state. It's his newspaper article from back in like the early seventies. Um, anyways. And the reason that happened, my dad didn't, I don't think really knew what he was doing, but he knew what it would take. Yep. And he did it. He got familiar with it and look who is a state champion. Only state champion title of his, you know, he's got, there it is. It is. It reminds me again, as long as getting off topic again, our school yeah. record holder in the 400 meter in college said it in the seventies, eighties or something. And he hung around as a handyman around the university. He was just this, he, an alpaca farmer. He's just this like rough and tumble guy. And he one day was talking with us. He's like, why aren't you guys faster? Like, how come you're not breaking 50 every time you guys run a four by four? How come you're not running 48 seconds? You're not going to run 149 if you can't run 47 seconds. Like we just, we're not that fast. So how many times did you break 50 in, tra in training this year? I'm like a 400? I never ran all out in a training this year. I said, how many times did you? He said, every day of college. I said, what? He said, every day. I finish a workout with a sub 50 400 just to remind myself that it's nothing. Oof. And that's a terrible, terrible training philosophy. But when he sharpened up and got fresh, there was probably no one that was more used to the sting of a 400 than him. So even though you wouldn't do that, you could not replicate his mindset that he had. I think that just speaks to like the e-logic from like a physiological standpoint, yes. but the logic of the understanding what your body is going to go through. My dad wouldn't, I, my dad's, I, he would not have been a state champion if he didn't do that skewed two week after losing from sectionals. And that's another really good example. I think we're just, how many ways can we tell you? Like you need to, yeah. you need to do it. Prepare for things to go wrong and for it to hurt. And then it's not a surprise. That's it. That's race fitness. The end.